I want us to turn this morning to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. Beginning with verse 16, and I will read, Then the men rose from there and looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Verse 18, Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy that place, the place, and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be as the wicked? Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, indeed now, I am who I am. I am who am, but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than the 50 righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for lack of five? And so he said, if I find there 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there would be 40 found there. And so he said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose, suppose 30 should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. So I said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. And then he said, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak, but once more, suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. Now, Father, I thank you for this word. I pray that you would speak and you would make it lie alive in each one of us. And we look to you, Jesus, to be 
moved by your spirit, moved upon by your spirit to hear the word and to be willing to be doers of the word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As the outcome of cities, of this city, which is hanging in the gap, hanging in the balance, is going to be determined by the intercessor of Abraham. I thought as I was preparing this message, how appropriate this is for us. As we look around and we see cities and communities and even nations around the world today, which are hanging in the balance because of sin, because of grievous, outrageous acts of immorality. It reminds me how important it is for us, the righteous, to stand in the gap in times right now where we literally see cities and nations and populations under the shaking of the judgments of the Lord. How important it is for us to understand our calling, our responsibility to be as Abraham, to be willing to stand in the gap. And so the title of the message today is to stand in the gap. Ezekiel chapter 22 verse 30 says, and I sought for a man or you could say a woman, anybody among them. That, I should, that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. And so as we look at the times that we're living in right now where there is so much instability, there is so much going on, the word of the Lord is still coming to the church. Can I find someone to stand in the gap so that I do not destroy this city, these people, this country? It's an interesting thing before the intercession that we see in these verses that Abraham has a, a very fascinating encounter with the Lord. This is what we read is only half of the chapter. But the first half is as important as the last half. It's the first half of the chapter that prepares him for the second half. The first, the last half is standing in the gap. The first half is divine encounter and visitation with God. Encounters with God are very important. They're always very important. Encounters in God are necessary. When God shows up, when God visits with us, when God has fellowship with us, he just is there. And we know he's present. And he's stirring in our hearts. And there's an impartation of his spirit. There is, there's a divine exchange that goes on when there is an encounter with God. When God imparts his, his life to us, he, he brings a revelation. He, 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 there's something that he, he gives us that we've never experienced before. There's a revelation of who he is that we've never seen before. And in exchange, 
We, 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 we give him our lives. We become, as Paul says, a, a living sacrifice to the Lord. We give him our lives. And that's why it's, it was important for Abraham. And that's why it's important for us to always seek those times and those moments where we have these divine encounters with God, where there's a, an exchange of his life and we give him our lives. Because that is always a precursor to something that he wants to do in us. It always is the beginning. It launches us into some new and very important area of calling and ministry and as Christians, responsibility. So coming to church and even this wonderful church is not just about the wonderful music and the warm feelings that we have, but there should be always an anticipation that we are going to meet God. Always. It's not just because I enjoy the aesthetics and the awesomeness of this lovely place, but I know that I know that when I'm there, whether it's in the worship or whether it's in the exhortations or whether it's in the preaching of the word, there is something that I'm going to experience new from God. I'm going to have an encounter. I'm going to have an encounter with God. It reminds me that before Joshua led the armies of Israel to prepare for battle against Jericho. What an assignment that was, but it was necessary for Joshua to have an encounter with the Lord when he met the commander of the Lord's army. When he heard the word, take off your shoes, you're standing in holy ground. When he heard Jesus say, I'm in charge. Encounters are vitally important. And I would say to you, brothers and sisters in the Lord, that you, you and I must seek after and anticipate fresh and new encounters with God every day. Not just when we come to church on Sundays or whenever you come, but every day of your life you're, you're seeking, I want to meet with the Lord. They are important. They are, they are important times of relationship building with God. Having a relationship with God it is vital to be able to be used by God. An intimate relationship with God is more important than any other factor in your life. Why? Why? Because everything that God does in you, everything that God does through you, everything that God does with you, everything that God does for you, hear it, is an expression of his deep desire to be in relationship with you. Everything. It's an expression of his desire to be in relationship with you. So God always takes the initiative, just like he did with Abraham. He came in, Abra in Genesis 18, verse 1. He came to visit Abraham. He and the angels he came to build and continue to cultivate this lifetime love and intimate relationship that Abraham had with the Lord. He was known as God's friend. 
And you know, it's very interesting. There's never any reluctance in God to meet with us. Never. No angel, no angel will ever tell you that God is too busy to meet with you right now, so come back in an hour. He'll never, there's no, no angel will ever say that. He's just too busy right now. Come back in 30 minutes. That's how much he values relationship with us. Everything that he does in us and through us has to come out of relationship of knowing him in order to be used by him. It reminds me of the verse from the book of Revelations, chapter 3, verse 20. That was speaking to believers, not unbelievers. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And we will share a meal together as friends. I want to tell you that the Lord is always knocking at the door. Always. And beloved, I'm going to say this. Not a day goes by when Jesus is not knocking at the door of your heart. Knocking and seeking an invitation just to be with you. And those times of meeting with God, those times of encountering with God are important to position you to be used by God. To know God is to experience him. Every encounter with God takes us into a deeper knowledge of God. To those whose hearts are open to him, he reveals his character. He reveals his nature. You'll begin to see aspects of who he is and, and how he thinks and how he feels and what he values. He wants us. He is a noble God. Saints, let me tell you that God is more noble than your wife or husband. Now, you got to hear that. God is more noble than anybody you know if you seek him. And so as we build these relationships, it also leads to character development. You can't be the same spending time with God. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror. The glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. The Apostle Paul is emphasizing that the, the very key to change, the very key to transformation, there are things in our lives that we look at and we know that needs to be changed. There are certain temperaments. There are certain attitudes. There are certain behaviors that we know that need to be broken, uprooted, and removed from our lives. And we're frustrated because we say, well, how, how, can, this, how can we get rid of this stuff? Well, Paul tells us, just spend time with God. Spend time focusing on him. Spend time looking just to him. And the Bible says as you do that, there is a transformation of your life. The key is this, this, in short, you become what you constantly behold. You become what you constantly behold. And so if what you always look at is your favorite character, 
your favorite TV actress or actor, you'll become like them. That's who you'll become. But when you continue and you intentionally and you consciously fix your mind on him and look to him and meditate on him and you put Jesus before your eyes continually, the key is, is that, that is the key to growing in Christ-likeness. Hallelujah. That is the key to growing in Christ-likeness. The primary work of the Holy Spirit is to conform each one of us to the image of God's Son. It's God's image within us that gives us the strength and the character and the spiritual fortitude and having significance and influence with God. Now, hear what I'm saying here, that standing in the gap is only a privilege to people that God says, I can trust that man. I can trust that woman because they know me. They know my heart. And it's standing in the presence of the Lord. It's allowing this transfer of his spirit to your, to your spirit and your life becoming an offering to his life. That there is a transference of character so that now God says, now I can trust them and talk to them as a man talks to a man. As a friend talks to a friend. You see, I never thought about that we can literally grow in our influence in relationship with God. The Bible makes it clear that God has friends and he has friends. I know that, love that song, I am a friend of God. We all love that song. But God has friends and then he has friends. He has people like Abraham and Moses and David who are not perfect individuals. We're not looking. We're not saying you have to be perfect because neither of them were, were perfect. But they were people that they understood the heart of God. And who would never, they would never take for granted their friendship with God. I, I need to explain what I mean. They would never take for granted their friendship with God. You see, God is a personal God, but never is he to be treated casually. Oh, oh, oh yeah, the man upstairs knows me. The man upstairs knows me. Hey, yo, we, we, good. we tight, man, we tight. <laughs> we tight. Yeah, we, we tight, you know. And so a cuss word comes out of your mouth. Oh, that's okay, he knows me, man. He knows me. Well, he, he, he does know you. He knows you too well. And so it's very important as we look at the importance of encounters that provide the opportunity to, for us to grow in Christ-likeness so that it allows us to be people that God can trust that God can consider as trustworthy and respectful with those things that God has said, these are on my heart, and this is something I've got to do. And I want you to participate with me in the outcome of what I'm getting ready to do. 
I'm glad to say to you this morning that an encounter with God is not just reserved for Abraham's and Moses's and David's and pastors. I'm here to say to you today that we're living in an hour that every believer, every follower of Christ is being invited to a place where you can have equal access to the Lord, to the presence of God. You see, God has a word for your families. God has a word for your community. God has a word for your neighborhood. He wants to do something in the earth, but he has decided that I want to do it with my friends. I'm inviting them to take counsel with me in the outcome and the decisions that must be made for things that are going on. Basically, encounters with God, they are on-the-job training. We are in training. You see, we were created in the likeness. We were created in the image of God. We were given power and authority. Go all the way back to the book of Genesis to see that. But because of sin, we lost that image. We lost the likeness of God. We lost the power and authority to represent God everywhere we go. We lost that until that Christ came. And through Christ and in Christ, what was lost because of sin has been restored because of the work on the cross. And so the Lord now is free to walk among us, to live with us, to meet with us. And in meeting us, he's imparting the confidence and the boldness that we need to have to enter into the presence of the Lord and to petition him, to speak to him face to face on behalf of people who are at risk, who are hanging in the balance. Amos 3 verse 7 says, Indeed, the sovereign Lord never does anything until he reveals his plans to his servants, the prophets. That's a powerful statement, Amos chapter 3 verse 7. Where God never does anything. He never does anything until he reveals what he's getting ready to do. I want to show you first because I want you to influence the outcome of the decision. It's a powerful, powerful statement. Prophets represent anyone, people who have been in the secret places where God dwells and they have learned. You have learned to be trustworthy, faithful, and you've learned to be good stewards of the revelations given to you by God. I can trust this man. I can trust this woman. We're talking about standing the gap. And some of you are there right now. You, you, it is this chaos on the left and chaos on the right, whether it's in families or whether it's in communities, and you are the only one that has the keys. Andrew Murray, of, a very famous writer, said, Beloved fellow Christians, God needs, greatly needs, priests who can draw near to the Lord who live in his presence, and by their intercession, they can draw down the blessings of his grace on other people. He desperately needs that. Now, I wanted to go directly to the intercession of, of Abraham. 
just a few points. I believe this is where we are being called as a people, where we're being called as a church. Number one, the Bible says that Abraham, after he heard what the Lord said about Sodom and Gomorrah, number one, the Bible says he drew near to God. Every revelation of God's, of God's work is an invitation to you to be a participant in what he's getting ready to do. Hear what I'm saying. Every revelation of God is an invitation to you to be a participant of what he's getting ready to do. He just doesn't say these things for you to be some kind of casual observer. But he says those things so that you can be an active participant in what he wants to do. And so when God does that, we must draw near to God. Don't run away like Jonah. <laughs> Don't have a Jonah spirit where God reveals what he wants to do to Nineveh and he just takes off and goes the opposite direction. The Bible says Abraham drew near to God. Number one, draw near to God. And it's important to know that God works according to his timing and not our timing. Don't put off what God is saying to you to do today. Don't say, well, you know what? Let me just pray about that. Pray. The king of glory has just said what he wants to do. Who are you going to pray to? Whose wisdom are you going to seek? Drawing near to God. The very moment God speaks to us is the very moment that God wants us to respond to him. The very moment. The very moment. Sometimes things can be just happen. The encounter can happen right in the midst of a worship service. You were worshiping the Lord and you've had a fight with your wife early this morning. And during the worship service, the Lord says, repent. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> no, right now. Right now while the grace is there. Right now while the mercy is there. Right now do what he's asked you to do. Draw near to God. Number two, discern the times. Jesus said to the hypocritical Pharisees, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. Abraham discerned. He already knew what the decision was going to be. The Lord says, I'm just going to go down and see what's... No, he said, God, I know what you're going to see. I know what you're going to decide to do. I know it. I know what you're going to do. And we need to be people who will discern the times that we're living in. Connect the dots. Just connect the dots. Look at the news. Just connect the dots. We is in trouble. <laughs> and he's looking for somebody who will stand in the gap. Who will discern the times. Number three, we have to have a kingdom perspective. Now, hear what I'm getting ready to say. The spiritual landscape of a country is more important than the geopolitics of that country. The spiritual landscape of a country is more important than the geopolitical landscape of that country. 
The outcome of a nation is not determined by the strength of its economy, the size of its population, or the strength of its military. The spiritual realities of a country are far important in determining its destiny and future. For example, to what extent has the gospel of Christ penetrated that country, penetrated that community? How open are the people to hearing the gospel of Christ? What hindrances, what strongholds exist which limit the spread of the gospel in that neighborhood, in that community, in that city, in that nation? What covenants, what agreements have been made that affects the nation's past, present, and future? What covenants have they entered? Are there people groups who have not heard the gospel of Christ? Or populations within the culture, within the city, within the country that have never heard the gospel? What religious institutions have dominated the life of the people in that nation? You see, in the 11th hour, in the end times, there has to be greater spiritual discernment to apprehend what God is doing to advance his kingdom in different nations. Let me give you for an example. I believe that the greatest deterrent to war on the Korean Peninsula, and we've heard a lot about what's going on in Korea, but the greatest deterrent to war on the, in the, on the Korean Peninsula has been the effectual fervent prayers of Christians in North Korea and South Korea. That has been the greatest deterrent to war. It is men and women who have drawn close to God, who are near to the Lord, and who are there petitioning God on behalf of a nation. Just evidence of that. Just give me a little evidence of that. North Korea, ironically, the capital city of Pyongyang, a century early, only a hundred years earlier, was a center of Christian activity. The capital of North Korea was the center of Christian activity. More than 2,000, possibly as many as 3,000 churches were built in that region. These are Bible-believing, Christ-centered churches over about a century ago. But during World War II, and in doing World War II, there were more than three times as many Christians in North Korea as in South Korea. However, at the end of World War II, something shifted in the spirit realm. Something shifted. And, and, and because of that, uh, there was a change of, of government. And there was a migration of Christians from the north to the south. And we know the rest. Now, knowing this history is important. It's important. The spiritual heritage, the spiritual landscape of a nation is important. It informs us how to pray. Seeing North Korea as it is historically in the spiritual context reminds me of what God said in the book of Ezekiel chapter 37 when he said to the prophet, Son of man, can these dry bones live again? See, that changes my whole prayer. I'm not praying against uh, a government. I'm not praying uh, you know, for this and that. I am praying that the dry bones of revival and Christian activity would have life again. Can these dry bones live again? See, those are the spiritual realities that transcend other factors affecting the history and the destiny of a nation. Let me continue very quick. I only have two points. Be persistent. 
Can you imagine the persistence of Abraham? To be able to approach the Lord and to be able to say, Lord, what about 50? And then he begins to calculate in his head. Mm, that may be too high. What about 45? And he continues to engage God in this kind of back and forth. That is persistence in prayer. Persistence is like a lawyer who fervently argues his case on the basis of what he knows is truth. He persistently, he fervently argues his case on the basis of what he knows to be true. He has a settled confidence, a settled assurance, a determination not to give up. And some of you are in families right now. You can't give up. You're seeing all kinds of havoc in your families, havoc in marriages. You cannot give up. I was listening to the service last Sunday night. That young man, what's his name? Who was talking about his family. Remember I asked you what his name was. My goodness. Tuesday night. Tony. Tony. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What do young people say? My bad. Tony. He said to parents, mothers, don't give up. Persistence. Abraham was persistent. There was a confidence. There was an assurance. There was a determination. No, I won't let you off this, Lord, until you answer this. You see, you can't just talk to God like that unless something has been built up in you character-wise, knowing you can approach God that way. <laughs> knowing. And finally, all of these are very short, very brief. Our, in, our intercession should always be in the context of worship. In other words, we should be like that Canaanite woman in Matthew chapter 15 who was interceding on behalf of her daughter who needed a, a miracle to happen to her and the Lord just didn't say anything to her. You know that story. It's a beautiful story of a woman's persistent prayer. And at the very bottom, the Lord says, the Lord says, I don't give what's treasure to the dogs. And she said, I know that, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs. <laughs> even in the worst of times and circumstances, our prayers should acknowledge, God, you're good. God, you're glorious. God, you're great. In the worst of times, our intercession should be laced with worship. When, it, when Israel inquired of the Lord how to approach their enemies in battle, the Lord said to them, send the Judah first. Send Judah first. Judah was the name of the tribe, but Judah represents praise. Praise. Praise is the highest form of prayer. Praise is a spark plug which ignites faith. Even when you don't see a way out, just begin to praise the Lord. It will ignite faith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know why we love this worship, this, this, this choir? 
Because you ignite faith. You bring such a revelation of the glory of God that I want to shout from the mountains, I believe! I believe! It ignites faith. Praise changes our focus. It shifts our mind off the problem. It puts our mind onto God's power and God's ability. It ensures that whatever we pray for, we will have. Send Judah first. I want to encourage you who are going through difficult challenges and overwhelming problems. Psalm 149.6 declares, let the praises of God be in your mouth. I don't care how bad it is. Let the praises of God be in your mouth. I'm going to ask Minister Greg to come. I don't know what you're experiencing in life. But there's a common thread that links us all together. Whether whatever family you're in, whatever neighborhood you live in, there's a lot of instability and uncertainty in life. That's the common thread that links us all together. And we need to understand the times that we're living in. That God, more than anything else, needs us to be standing in the gap. But there are certain qualifiers that we must not neglect, we must not overlook. These qualifiers will position us to be the key to redemption for people whose lives are hanging in the balance. We're called in a moment in a time when there's so much chaos to stand in the gap. If you could start playing, please. The word I have for you is from Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. It says this, look, I stand in the door and knock. If you hear my voice, open the door. I will come in and we will share a meal together and fellowship. And I will be your God and you will be my child. Let's stand up together. I want to give an invitation to you today, particularly for backsliders. I don't say that in a very negative way or demeaning way. I was once a backslider. I was a person that knew the Lord but looked other places because I, I thought the grass was greener on the other side. But it was not. But if you're here today and you know that you need to renew your relationship with the Lord, there is an inheritance waiting for you. There are promises yet to be fulfilled. There's a calling of your life that cannot, you cannot run away from. I want to have an altar call for people who somehow you've walked away from where you need to be. I'm going to call, I'm going to ask, as Minister Greg plays, I want to invite you to the altar right now. Just come. If somehow your, your love for God, your passion has become lukewarm. You're not hot. You're not cold anymore. You're just lukewarm. And you say, well, I want to be used of God. This is an altar call for lukewarm Christianity. Come forward right now in Jesus' name. Father, thank you right now 
for breaking strongholds off people's lives right now. I sense by the Spirit of the living God there have been strongholds that have held you back from stepping into your calling and the promises that God has made to you. I say in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, strongholds be broken from your life right now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of you right now are in a crisis right now. It's not a crisis of money. It's not a crisis of relationships. It's a crisis of your faith. It is your faith. For with God, all things shall be possible. Nothing shall be impossible. And so the real crisis that you're going through in life is that of faith. And not money, not relationships. It's faith. Will you open the door? Will you allow him to come in? Will you allow him to strengthen the relationship that he's brought you into the world to have? I want you to pray with me right now. Dear God, I believe that you love me, that you care for me, that you have not forgotten me. And I repent right now that I have forgotten you, that I have forsaken you, that I have sought other things in my life. Forgive me, Jesus. As I ask you right now to deliver me from every trap of the enemy. I give myself to you right now. I give my heart to you. I re-invite you, Lord. Come into my heart. Make your throne in me. Do in me what I cannot do for myself. Be glorified in me. I ask this in Jesus' name. Now thank the Lord right now. Just begin to thank God. Just begin to thank God right now. As you're going to thank God for, for... He brought us... The Lord initiated this today. It was not initiated by any man. Because of his great love for you and his love for me, he initiated this moment, this time, where he could meet with you. And I say to you right now that everything that stood in the way of God's, of God's love for you is washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's washed away. It's washed Every covenant, every agreement you've had with anything of darkness, I declare in the name of Jesus that it is broken from your life now in Jesus' name. It is broken. You are free. You are free. Just begin to thank God. Just say, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Say, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you, Lord, for setting me free. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, I want you to stay. Just don't run away. The worship team is going to continue to worship. But you just stay here. There are people. Like David, you just come and say whatever needs to be said. But I believe there's still work to be done. Some of you really need to say, Jesus, come into my life for the very first time. 
I want you to settle to this morning. Settle it that there is no weapon fashioned against you will prosper. No lie of the devil. No lie of the devil can get in the way of the covenant that God has made with you from the cross. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Never, 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 never. Never, never.